Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology. Guys, so as we jump into today's interview, I just wanted to give you some context as I introduce our guest. Today's guest is Max Aka, and you'll get a formal introduction to him in a little bit, but he plays in a band called Kozin, which you'll also hear about. And just before we dive into the episode, just for context, I wanted to play a song for you from, uh, it's their latest single out called To The Wind. So here's a quick preview of it. It's about 30 seconds long. So if it's not your style, you can hit that iTunes skip ahead 30 seconds and you'll be right into the interview. But here is 30 seconds of Kozin's To The Wind and enjoy this awesome conversation with Max Aka that is to follow. Hey everyone, welcome back to Absurdity. I am joined today by Tony and a special guest I have yet to uh, actually have a real conversation with uh, in in person. So, um, Max, I'm so glad that you are jo- you've joined us today. Um, yeah, welcome to the welcome to the podcast. Thanks, bro. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad this is finally happening. Yeah, we've only been talking about this for like six months. So yeah. and tweeting it, about it, at each other for much longer. I feel like yes. Twitter has brought to get people together more over the last five to six years than Facebook did, even in its heyday. Like, the the amount of people that I've met that, like, legitimately, I was like, I need to meet this person. I need to hang out with them because of Twitter has is just way more than Facebook. Like, Facebook, yeah. I think even in its heyday, it was like, oh, I know that person, but I'm okay knowing them from a distance. <laughs> right, like, right. I never actually, like, met up with people with Twitter. It's like, I, gotta, I, find, I need to find this person. Where are they? Right. Indiana, cool. I'm driving to Indiana, so... 
No, Facebook taught me the people I should never meet, and I don't want to have it. <laughs> exactly. And, no, yeah, and, exactly. But I honestly, I tell undergrad Theo majors all the time, like, if you're not on Twitter, you're missing out on some huge connections. Yeah. Um, with a lot of pastors. Um, Twitter not is, like, sure. the place for a lot of the pastors that undergrad theology majors really want to work with a lot of the time. Like, right. that's the place to connect with 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 those guys So uh, and girls. So, like, I'm a big fan of Twitter. And uh, Max, you and I actually met. Um, well, we haven't officially ever met in person, right? But we got connected. I think when I was writing for the Haystack, right? Probably something like that. I wrote. I. I. What I most, I guess, fully remember was writing an article for the Haystack um, on uh, worship. Can you can you worship from a mosh pit? Was oh, the you title. wrote that. I didn't even take in who wrote that. That was you. Yeah, I wrote okay. that one, um, and a bunch of people had no issue with the content. They had an issue with the uh, title, which was funny. Um, right. But I think that was the first time that I had, because you'd commented on that article, and I think after that we just kind of stayed connected or something. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I am glad that this is finally happening. So um, before we jump into this real quick, just two things I want to let uh, listeners know about. Number one is Patreon. So if you are a listener of this podcast and you want to support us financially, every dollar goes back into paying the bills, which means hosting fees, which means uh, equipment fees and paying uh, our social media manager as well. In fact, this is the first episode that I am recording. I just hung today a uh, sound blanket in my room. Uh, and that was paid for by Patreon dollars. So uh, super helpful when when supporters donate um, and help out. So every tier of Patreon gets ad-free episodes, and every $5 or more tier um, gets a bonus episode per month. This month's episode is an extra interview with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism. And if you don't follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash absurditypodcast. So um, hit us up on both places. That's a good way to stay connected with us. But now that that is out of the way, Max, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay, I can do that. Well, uh, as you can tell, my name is Max. Uh, Canadian by birth and, well, yeah, by everything, Canadian. Um, Fellow Canuck. Yes. Oh, wait, where are you from? I, I'm actually a Dooley, so my dad was born in Toronto. Okay. Wait, yeah. what? Yeah. Did yeah. I wait? Uh, did I know this? Yeah, you did. I think I talked about it in one of the early episodes. I don't I think in one of the Michigan. Nope. Yeah, one of the Michigan I, episodes. This I'm, is. Yeah. This is this is totally news. To I'm me. a Dooley. Wow. That's why I'm so polite. I'm also. Oh, is that what? <laughs> see that? Yeah, you got you got the Canadian culture in your genes. Yeah. No. Yeah, and also why that's I love Tim Hortons. But that's I mean that's more of a yeah yeah. Although I will say, and this is not even me introducing myself anymore, but Tim Hortons has uh, decreased in its quality. Well, I think when, since being bought by Burger King. Yeah, like when they when they hit the like mega chain style kind yeah. of. Anyway, Canadian stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So born and raised in Toronto, uh, although also dual citizen. My mom's from around here, so I've got I've got uh, a, a an ounce of Berrien Springs in me that I do not claim. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, that's that's for me to psychologize about on my own time. And uh, yeah, so I'm currently studying here at Andrews, so we could do this at least partially in person uh, in the seminary, doing my MDiv, and I guess the the hilarious, conspicuous thing that's worth talking about that I guess we'll talk about a lot today is that I also 
play in a metal band where I do the seven string guitar and occasionally sometimes the screaming. So for some of our listeners who maybe don't understand, what exactly is a, a metal band? How would you how would you define it? It's I'm, the steel drums, right? I'm yes. just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My I have an uncle actually who is a tuba player and he uses that as his excuse to to say that he plays heavy metal. Um <laughs> Oh man, yes. that hurt me, and I make terrible jokes on this podcast all the time. Listen, it will only get more terrible as long as I'm here. Good, that's what I Dad I brought you jokes. on to make dad absurdity jokes. terrible. Dad Good. jokes. It's gonna be it's gonna be all dad jokes, but yeah. So heavy metal. I, I mean, I feel like people. That's kind of a thing on its own that people have all kinds of conceptions about what it is and what it isn't, yeah. and you know, depending on what decade you had your adolescence in it might be a completely different thing some yeah for, so for this sure. is not uh this is not some steel panther or striper type yeah. of thing yeah i don't know why those are the first things that came to my mind iron maiden yeah Priest, isn't that, this isn't you know. this isn't your dad's heavy metal type hair of band stuff. yeah it's not a hair band it's not uh it's not whatever alternative -y grunge things were going on in the 90s I feel like heavy metal could be so many things to different people, right? Like, I grew up in the era where Linkin Park was, like, the main gateway right, yeah. for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I'm not necessarily doing that. I think I would see myself as being a product of, like, the 2000s, like, core scene stuff. Okay. The, uh, the metal core and the yeah, yeah. that era of prog as well. I think that's kind of what I do is I'm in, like, a prog band. So the tradition that comes out of, like, Rush and Dream Theater and... I mean, mm. I don't know, later, like, Faith No More, and then really later, like, Between the Buried and Me, Periphery, The Human Abstract, that type of stuff. That's kind of the world that I come from. So if you're familiar with that type of stuff, then... Yeah, you know, as I was going to say, like, you really pegged, like, kind of the specific version yeah. of heavy metal. Yeah, cool. so that era. He he likes to brand his specific version of heresy and... Uh, <laughs> right, and, no, as, as do we. paganism. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, as that's, do we. Like, I'm, that's kind of his goal. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you understand heavy metal the way I understand film. Like, sure. in the way of just like, yeah, more, I see myself more in like obscure directors that I start naming. And yeah, so I, I get you. Yeah. No, so you and I come from kind of two different um, sides of a similar coin mm. um, in that I tend to be in the more uh, post hardcore scene. Right. Um, bands like Bless the Fall, Chiodos, um, you know, uh, Day to Remember, which is more kind of pop punk yeah. slash with post hardcore kind of overtones. But um, yeah, I tend to come from, uh, I guess, a more melodic heavy chug right. uh, style of rock. Uh, you tend to come with more complicated riffs and um, and complex sounds, I think, is the way that I, I might put it. Um, mm -hmm. And I. I have a ton of respect for heavy metal um, and what, what guitarists can do in that genre is insane to me. <laughs> like, it's just like another world. Yeah. Um, yeah. Crazy. But so they're, we're they're, talking they're like the, the classical st string artists of Beethoven's day. You know what I mean? Like where they had to do these incredibly long, incredibly complicated, you know, 15 minute arias. And that's kind of like, like what they're they're expected to do is just all right freestyle, but freestyle in this very specific way, right? You know, within these you know arpeggios and so yep. on. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we've talked about a lot on absurdity is, especially when it comes to secular and sacred and um, and music, even mm. um, is 
the there really is no line between the secular and sacred. Everything is sacred to some extent because everything does impact us spiritually. And I think um I think what we're going to be able to do today, especially given uh your worldview and and your uh your passion for for music is kind of demystify and uh put a concrete example to a lot of what we talk about on this podcast. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of my goal here. Okay. Um is is to hopefully for listeners like, yeah, we've talked about it from a high level view. Now I want to talk about this from someone who's actually um, living it out because what you're doing is, is odd in that you're in seminary and I don't know, I've never actually asked this, but what is your kind of long-term goal after seminary? Like, are you, are you straight going into pastoral work? Are you trying to do academia and, and scholarly work? Like where, where are you at? So, I mean, I guess there's two ways I could approach that, which would be like the ideal thing in my mind and the dream or like what I'm actually going to do. Um, I could touch on both of those fairly quickly. What the, the dream, I mean, the dream is the dream and that's like go on tour full time and just be a musician. You know what I mean? Like mm. that would be, is that feasible right now? Not quite, but I'm, my goal is to always in some way or another work towards that being more sustainable. Um, in terms of like the practicalities of it right now, I'm going to get my degree. I'm graduating this May if everything goes smoothly and, uh, you know, that, how that goes. But uh, honestly, the, the way my relationship in working for the church has gone is that I've always been in some kind of weird experimental role, something that's on contract. And, you know, I've, I'm so used to it at this point that it's like, yeah, I can make sense of that. I can navigate that. So I'm currently, I mean, you know this uh, because you're in the, the Adventist podcasting world, but I'm doing stuff with Advent Next. Um, yes. And that's my involvement with them is also writing for like another blog that they do. Every once in a while, I jump onto the haystack a little bit, but that's not really my main thing. But I'm in charge of a couple other like Bible study things that they've got going on. So I'm probably going to stick with that and, uh, you know makeshift some kind of uh some kind of life out of it with maybe a couple other s- sources of income that's what it's looking like right now but the goal is to be able to devote as much of my time as possible that I can to doing music no that totally makes sense i think we're we are part of a generation of pastors i don't i it's hard because i haven't done like a ton of research on this so i may just be completely talking out of my butt here but um we, you know, this whole generation of pastors seems to be one that is very much paving its own way um, through through passions that are even that are not necessarily uh, directly related to ministry. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. Um, so let's talk about this. So you do ministry, you do Bible studies, you're on Advent Next, which which has um, has interviewed guys like uh, like the the original guy that that did the New Living Translation or was involved with the New Living Translation, a lot of the professors at Andrews. So you do that, and then you have a show coming up in, like, Ontario or Ottawa or wherever it is. Toronto. At Toron- yeah, okay, Toronto. And um, I love Toronto. That's the one city in Canada that, like, I want to go back to. <laughs> and uh, it's also the only city in I was gonna say, that I've been um, to. I mean, that's um, reasonable. What other... When did you yeah. go to Ottawa? Like, um, In my... Never. Um, so nice. the, <laughs> um, yeah. So how do you reconcile those two? Like, like, um, how do you, ha- yeah. What is your mindset or, or how do you, how do you justify that to someone who goes like these two things don't seem to line up well? Yeah. So I guess that's two different things. Cause like for me, I think the, the best part of my life was when I stopped 
feeling like that needed to be reconciled and just felt like it was a natural extension of the same thing, which was myself. In terms of explaining mm. it, in terms of explaining it to people, I also I I try not to explain too much if I feel like I'm just meeting hostility because it's not explanation won't work at that point. I, I've come to understand that very clearly that if someone is just trying to condemn you, you can't really explain yourself to them. Like it's mm. you're beyond the the realm of logic. But if it's if it's a sincere question, my my gut reaction would be to say, well, show me. Show me the delineation between sacred and and secular genres as the Bible explains it, and you'll come up with a, an empty list. Um, or at very least, you'll come up with a list of ancient Near Eastern, you know, if you can tell me what a masculine sounds like, or whatever yeah. that thing in the Psalms is, that's that's your answer. And I think that's David insecurity. That's what that's what that thing in the Psalms is. It's David's insecurity. Right. Well, yeah, ancient Near Eastern emo. <laughs> I was gonna say you could take about half of the psalms and turn them into like a screamo song, like. Well, and I think that's something. So, but not to jump into it too rapidly, but that's something that I think people really take for granted when they look at the Bible and they have this conversation about music. Is people do not evaluate the aesthetic qualities of Scripture. Um. You know, there's some horrifying stuff in there. There's some deeply visceral stuff in there. Mm. And a lot of it is presented in poetry and song. And so we have this this hyper-sanitized Western culture that really can't stomach anything gutsy. And we really gloss over, you know, we, we have plenty of hymns and worship songs. And I think it's interesting that both hymns and worship songs are guilty of this. Kind of really sugarcoating what we glean from the Psalms. Mm-hmm. We'll take the things that sound yeah. like praise and we'll write those into our worship music. But as soon as it gets to the part where it's like, and then kill every, like, whoa, hold up, wait, why are you that yeah. angry? And I think we completely miss the fact that there are these, we don't know necessarily what the music sounded like, but we do know that to their ears, it would have sounded like whatever was appropriate for describing your uncontrollable rage being expressed to God in prayer. Yeah. And, mm. and that's not something that I think is taken seriously. Uh, we do a terrible job in church music of ever touching on lamentation. Um, here's a fun one for you, actually. A couple of weeks ago here on the Andrews campus, we had an event. It was um, Rise Up Against Abuse. Yes, and I heard I'm about actually that. I'm working at one place as their music pastor, so my job is to like recruit new musicians and just help develop the worship culture, or whatever, right? And we paused our preaching series. We were just like, if this is going to be the theme of the day, we're bringing in a guest speaker. We're going to highlight this theme of abuse throughout the entire service, and that became very mm. difficult when I got around to picking songs for praise and worship because I was like, well, we don't have any lament, lament, lamentation songs. We don't have any anger songs. We don't have any I'm suffering abuse type of songs or barely. So I took like, I don't know, what did we sing? We sang Desert Song. We sang Blessed Be Your Name. I transposed them into minor keys so that they sounded sadder. Mm, okay. And then our third song in the set was a piano ballad version of Crawling by Linkin Park. And we sang that at church. I love you. And we um, interspersed it with lines from Desert Song. Um, I love you. I just I can, yeah, like you're welcome. I know that there's a few. I wouldn't call them 
congregational type songs. I know that there's a few um, songs that are written out there that they have that kind of deep, you know, what do you do? Um, 10th Avenue North, I know has a, a few of those, but I wouldn't, they're not congregational. You know what I mean? Like you can't sing them all together. Yeah. Um, I've, I've said this a lot on there. You know, one of the reasons why I can't listen to Christian pop is because it's always positive, encouraging. And I'm like, the Christian journey is not always positive, encouraging. Right. Um, and as someone who struggled with deep, deep, you know, we, we touched a little bit, you know, on this when I, when I came in before we started recording, you know, I went through a period of really deep depression, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's not positive or encouraging. Right. You know, I didn't look to it, it to me looking to the Psalms. I didn't read the positive parts of that. And I think a lot of times we want to do that. We want to, oh, sit back and visualize the beautiful green fields that God is walking through. It's like, oh, what about the part where he dashes the baby's heads against right. the rock? Like, we don't stop and, and put ourselves in that spirit mm-hmm. and and realize that God is in that moment too. Mm-hmm. And that was such a huge discovery for me. Um, and I wish we had more because one of the songs that did really come through was the uh, uh, 10th Avenue North song. And I can't remember what it is, but it's... Um, I feel like I know I'm, which one you're talking about. I'm yeah, I'm I'm worn or I'm torn or something like that. And it was just that a yeah, I am worn down. That's exactly how I felt, and it really hit me. But I was like, I can't sing that at church. I can't bring that yeah. up. I yeah. wish I could. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're absolutely hitting on that. Uh, it was interesting. Is the um, uh, the guy from Corn who who converted over Brian? Yeah, Brian Welch. Yeah. Brian Welch. You know, he mentioned that where like his songs weren't getting any play on on these Christian radio waves and like, well, it's just, it's a downer. It's too intense. And he's like, so, so what, is Christianity. What have like, yeah. have you met some of these young adults? Like they're, yeah. they're going yeah. through stuff. And I'm like, yeah, it's such a chord with me because I'm like, yeah, that's, there's an authenticity that rings so true when it comes to the Christian walk in, in having those types of songs, even if it's a Lincoln park song, you know, even if it's Nirvana, yeah. you know, where, Hey, yeah, it's old, but, this is this is what I'm feeling right now, and being able to say God is still in that moment, even in my whatever, mm-hmm. whatever emotion I'm feeling, whatever state I'm in. But it's so hard to find that, yeah, for especially yeah. for congregational. Well, yeah. and that's that's something I find interesting because when I when I, as I've been pastoring, I've talked with church members before who get mad because like, oh my my son or my grandson is playing you know, all these horrible, violent video games, and and that's not appropriate for a Christian, and, and they shouldn't be exposed to that kind of thing. Um, no one should be exposed to that kind of thing. And I'm like, have you opened your Bible, like, ever? Like, Genesis 6 is the equivalent of a genocide yeah. um, with Noah and the flood. Or uh, Judges 19 is, the, is, like, the favorite one that I reference on this podcast all yeah. the time, right? Like, there's all these grotesque moments in Scripture, and yeah, what yeah. we do First is— Samuel with the Amalekites, and yeah. Yeah. Um, even, even a lot of our favorite stories of Scripture are technically still—like, David kills a guy Isn't with he, a stone to the face. And he's a child soldier. Yeah. yeah. So he's six, 14 to 16, you know? He's not— like, Yeah, like, that's— that's insane, and we also romanticize the crucifixion of our of our savior. Like yeah, we, we wear it. we wear the the cross instead of the empty tomb around our neck. Right. Like that's An execution ins- device. Like, yeah, um, and and so it's it's so funny to me to watch that play out. And what we've done is what we've we've created a version of church where, um, and I watched this play out even in the article I wrote about worshiping from a mosh pit mm-hmm. um, in conversations I had with people in comments after, um, 
was like the worship that that music that the music that is played in church needs to be you know something for everyone and palatable for everyone and like there's nothing in Christianity that is palatable for everyone right and if it was then it's not Christianity because if if a relationship with Christ is is by nature transformative then there has to be something that is transformed there has mm. to be something that you encounter that originally you don't agree with right. that you must come around to agreeing with and um, I think uh, one of my the other side of this, too, is I was listening to a podcast, Creative Live with Chase Jarvis. Mm. He was interviewing Rain Wilson, the guy that played Dwight Schrute on The Office. Okay. And uh, Rain grew up as a, a, his family was in the Baha'i faith. Mm. And one of the 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 founder of that faith, his son in the late 1800s, I think, uh, is quoted. And I don't remember the direct quote, but basically in the Baha'i faith, they believe that any um, any act of art, any writing, any poetry, any music is by nature an act of prayer. Wow. Uh, because in the Baha'i faith, like they worship God as a creator of everything, working with the blank canvas of the universe. Hmm. So if that's the case, then an act of creativity would be the ultimate act of worship because it's literally mimicking the very thing that put us here. Right. An act of creation. And I just... Like, I see that as, like, completely transformative to the paradigm of what worship and art actually is. Mm-hmm. So well, I had, a, I had a friend who was taking a class when I was doing my undergrad. Um, she was an English major, and it was something akin to science fiction and sub-creation. And the idea, and it, it was, you know, it was exploring the idea of creativity in, in this instance in literature, and very specifically in sci-fi uh, literature, but the idea of subcreation as like us being, you know, secondary tier creators within a world that is already created. Like we are the ones who have like a demiurgic approach to creation because we're taking stuff that's already there and we're mm-hmm. we're then synthesizing it and and repurposing it um, under the watchful eye of the ultimate creator. And I think that there's there's a sublimeness to that that maybe we gloss over or fail to give its uh adequate attention to so yeah no i i I, i'm totally with you if anyone's ever actually read the frankenstein by by um, mary shelley like that's the whole point of it like Mm -hmm. the point isn't that he created this monster the entire reason why it went down is because a fallen being created a worse fallen being Mm. Um, because if someone who was perfect created someone who's sinful, someone who's sinful is going to create this monster. Mm. And if you actually like read through, like there's long sections where that's exactly what they discuss: this idea that I am become God. You know, this kind of Nietzschean, wow. you know, uh, uh, over me. I, yeah, exactly. Like I am now sub-creating, um, in, rather than through. But the interesting thing is, it's it's he becomes like his child that he's never able to have. Um, and it's like, no, we do subcreate, mm. but, but you wanted to play God rather than play by the rules that, that God had set up. And so, mm. but there's, but there's that same idea that we're built to kind of have that natural idea of, of wanting to, to create from something that's there. Mm. That's huge. So I, I think Max, a lot of what you shared so far, um, I agree with you and I haven't wanted to challenge any of what you said, cause I sure. tend to be on the same page, but I'm I disagree with everything, you, but that's, it's, yeah. That's Tony. Um, what I the reason I say that is um, I think it's important that you've said what you've shared so far um, because I think it's putting language to a lot of what people are feeling uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to their own creative passions or outlets 
um, and the things that they may have hesitated to pursue in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like really wanted to, to clarify that for anyone who's like, why did he like, no, I think, I think the fact that you see your, your, um, musical talent and ability as just a natural extension of who you are uh, is a huge part of recognizing the image of God in you. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's huge for me. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about your actual band. Like, yeah. how did you get involved with, with music? Like, tell me, like, just give us the story. Okay. So my band is kind of universally described as being really weird by anyone who kind of comes across it. Um, because it is, it's, it's, it was born of kind of a strange string of circumstances, not strange, but an unconventional string of circumstances and also born of an unusual idea. So the, the longer version of the story has this whole thing about how growing up Adventist, I was constantly on the receiving end of all these voices telling me that like, there was this like hard dichotomy between wanting to do ministry work and wanting to be in like alternative music you know what i mean like the really countercultural stuff especially if i was going to be like screaming and growling and making Mm. these kinds of noises and stuff so i you know i did my undergrad in a school styled itself it was christian but it styled itself trans-denominational so like everyone was there and it was a great learning experience and i was deeply benefited by it but it was terrible for adventist employment because they don't know what to do with <laughs> they don't know what to do with that, and so I went. You know, I spent I some years doing mission. I did some st- work with the like local youth department in the conference or whatever. And the whole time, it was kind of me teasing out and wrestling with this idea of like, well, what can I actually do? Like, is it a matter of me getting away with something, or is it a matter of me just embracing it and saying like, well, who cares what anyone else thinks of it? You know. So there was a lot of that back and forth. And essentially, um, it was just a matter of like one day I had a bunch of song demos and I demoed them out and I sent them to this drummer I knew. His name's Kyron. I had gone to school with him a little bit and I sent him some demos and he was like, let's do this. Let's make this record. And so during that process, I guess from like 2014 to 15, I was like teaching myself engineering. We had a bunch of sessions and recorded these songs, mostly with the two of us. And I like I'd met two guys from like a local kind of like unaffiliated charismatic church. Essentially, I started playing at their church on Sundays and just building these musician relationships. Right. Um, People I'd gone to school with all of that. It just kind of slowly progressed from me having this weird solo project I was working on to actually kind of accidentally becoming a band. (laughs) Um, just like, I just kept adding people like, Hey, can you come play some guitar solos on this? Cause you're really good. Hey, can you come lay down bass for this, these songs? Cause like, you're really good. And it just became this thing. It eventually was like, Oh, I guess we're a band now. You know, like we did a couple shows here and there and it just kind of, it literally just kind of fell together like that. Um, and I guess the other, right. It was, it was kind of like a fluke of a, well, I guess I'm doing this now. Like this dream I've had that I've been kind of overthinking is just kind of happening. And I think that's where I started to realize like, oh, this is just, I'm going to do this. Even if I try to stop myself from doing this, I'm going to, right? I'm going to keep writing songs. I'm going to keep ending up performing places because it's just my inclination. The other thing that makes this band really, really weird is just the people it's composed of. So there's me. I've been a worship leader forever, 
So if you want me to stand there with an acoustic guitar and strum the chords and sing nicely, I can do that for you. I love me some John Mayer, some Jason Mraz, that mm. whole world. Like I, I vibe with that. Um, but I'm also a metalhead and I like screaming. The band I'm in is split evenly in half between a drummer who essentially, if you let him loose, he plays like a death metal drummer and a guitarist who is like a complete like shred metal soloing heavy guitar maniac. And then our bass player and keyboard player are from the gospel music tradition and they're heavily involved in like the hip hop and R&B scenes in Toronto. So the band is kind of halfway between like, well, there was a there was a guy from another band locally who described us as singer songwriter jazz metal, which is about <laughs> as ridiculous as you could get with a description. It's like, it's like it's like putting two completely opposite concepts together. Yes, it's like oh yeah, it's a bird rat. Yeah, it's a bird rat. <laughs> It's, it's a bird. What are We're you a bird It's rat. a bat. Just call it a bat. No, but it's like, a bird that's rat. A thing. That's, but once, it's a bat. That's where the name comes from. Once you see it, you know exactly what it is. Yeah, like, yes. Like, oh, yeah. I get the bird because it's a rat, but it flies in the bird thing. I get it now. It's a bat. But it's kind of that thing of like, yeah, it's, uh-huh. it's jazz and heavy metal, the two things that you were like, shall, ne'er shall never combine. But but it does, yeah. And especially like gospel musicians playing in a metal band. Like it's, it is, it is right, a bizarre right. thing. And people, but but it's it's funny because as you describe that, when you actually pull it aside, one of the nice things about archaeology and studying that is you actually see like the patterns beneath it. So if you strip aside like volume, um, they're actually very similar because they have those long riffs. You have a lot of creativity. You have a lot of emphasis on um, more emotional style rather than what do I what we like. Kind of pop is about getting this narrative across versus with jazz and metal. It really is more about the emotion. It's really about being in that in that moment. So you can kind of see how, even though it would seem on the surface mm. to be like completely different, like coming together, you're like okay, I could see how that could work because I, sure. I I saw that description and at first I, I did the same thing. I'm like, what? That what? doesn't even make sense. And I stopped. I was like, okay, no, yeah, I I could see that. Yeah, yeah. People look at us weird when we play. And that's yeah. I, I kind of dig that. Like I think it's a fun thing for people to just be like, "What is going on? What's on happening this stage here right now?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think. Okay, so I think we actually touched on what is our next point in our lovely notes. So welcome to this segue, sure. um, which is that I think a lot of people bring in some misconceptions and preconceptions as to what 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 they think. Like when you say jazz and metal combined. Um, it, like people bring people have this image of just a saxophone in their mind, maybe right, and then metal as like they may picture hair metal or they may picture like death metal or you know they they yeah. they picture what they're used to. Um, right. even with screaming, um, mm-hmm. people say, "Oh, screaming is demonic," and I'm like, "Where did you get that idea? If not from pop culture, right? Like where <laughs> where there's no other way that you just like naturally just thought oh yeah that's demonic and like there's no biblical thing for screaming being right there's there's no concept of that other than through pop culture mm-hmm. and it, it even if it makes you uncomfortable that doesn't mean it's demonic jesus said a lot of things that make me uncomfortable and jesus was the furthest thing so right. i you know so let's talk about misconceptions about rock and harder music and and even the music that and especially the music that you play um sure. Yeah, so 
I should say as a caveat, like my band is not that heavy in the grand scheme of things. Facts. Like I'm, I'm mostly a singer, and like, so we just dropped a new single, and most of it is singing. And in the bridge, I do like a, a bunch of screams, and that's yeah, it. right. Which is which is why it makes sense. Like when you described it, you're like, I'm in a metal band, not screamo, not death. Like that really is a great description for it because it, it isn't. It's not. I wouldn't even say it's. I mean, as hard as some of the like metal Christian bands that I grew up listening to, right? You know. Um, it really is more it's it comes from kind of that idea of it's a it's more melodic i guess melodic than like metal, screamo yeah. but you inv- involves pieces of yeah. that mm-hmm. no absolutely but with regards to misconceptions like what 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 do, you, what do we want to get in first uh let's go through the list let's talk about genre misconceptions first okay so the the evil s word has come up already screamo yes um People always misconstrue, and not that you necessarily did, but people are always so confused, like what the difference between metal and screamo right, and all this yeah. is. And some people refer to the vocal technique as screamo, which is yes. funny. Um, so for all of you listening, screamo is a short form for emo with screaming. Just It's screaming emo. Emo is emotional hardcore. Hardcore is hardcore punk. So... That's kind of, you have to trace the family tree back. There was yeah. punk. Punk got faster and louder, became hardcore punk. Then hardcore punk got more emotional and sensitive and melodic and became emo. And then they took that more sensitive, melodic, hardcore punk sound and added screaming to it and became screamo. None of those are metal. None of Correct. those. And I love all of those things. And that is kind of the tradition that eventually becomes post-hardcore. Yes. But like none of those things are genetically the same as heavy metal um so i think that's that's what a huge misconception that people have that like metal equals screamo because if you think about the metal bands that people know black sabbath iron maiden metallica megadeth none of them have screaming like yeah. those are all singing bands yep. um yeah. which is kind of funny that people have this association that metal equals i guess maybe that they've now metal has now been coded by death metal and thrash and metalcore. I was going to say metalcore, I think, is what people are actually yeah, talking death, death about. death metal and metalcore kind of, they all just lump it all together. Yeah. And it's very, very different. Yeah. So there's all those genre misconceptions that people have, and I think it makes it difficult to have conversations even with people knowing what you... It could be like if you're like, oh, I'm really, really into, like, rap. And if you brought up an R&B artist, I'd be like, oh, so you like Usher, like no what that's like i could see why you'd think they're related but they're not the same thing you know yeah, he features on stuff but that's not that's like he's a, a pop he's r&b a, singer he's not a rapper he's a singer he's not a yeah and i think people just don't have the the vocabulary that's for it like necessarily. that's like saying nelly is a country music star because he showed up on a florida georgia line <laughs> pop country song that, that's, that's that's what that's saying that was the best stretch you could have made. That was Thank fantastic. You. I tried. Yes. That's what absurdity is all about, man. Yes. Um, it, it bed credulity a little bit for me. I got to be honest. Tony, you're fired. Uh, Tony, actually, it was your birthday recently. So, A, happy birthday. Uh, happy B, birthday. I found out 
that um, I found out yesterday that on Amazon you can buy Post Malone fake tattoos. No. For his face. No. And uh, I'm no. going to buy you some oh. and bring them to you. <laughs> right, because I remember this co- this came up on a, a po- on an episode yes, somewhat recently that episodes people compare you to Post Malone. He really? compared when he says people, he compares uh, me someone, to Post uh, to Malone. Be, to be fair, a mutual friend actually is the one who pointed it out. It's to on me Twitter yeah. with a side by side photo, oh my um, gosh. and he literally looks like Post Malone without face tattoos. In that angle, that yes, funny. it uh, bears a passing resemblance. I get Seth Rogen. Way more. Okay, I could see that. I could see beard. that when one. I have a beard, especially when I have a beard. One time, I had like seven people over a Christmas break, and none of them knew each other. Like, compl- like strangers had no connection to each other. Come up to me and say, "Like, you look a lot like Seth Rogen." Has anyone ever told you that? And by the seventh time, I'm like, "Is God trying to tell me something?" Do I? <laughs> I felt like Chris. Uh, 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 I felt like uh, Star Lord. And all right, this is. I'm gonna get a Bowflex. I'm gonna get weights. Right. He thinks I look like Post Malone, so That's now funny. I get Post Malone tattoos. Hey, Post Malone's a talented guy. I he is a talented saying. guy. He also doesn't brush his teeth, so... I mean, do you? I've never seen you brush your teeth. I have an electric toothbrush, I will have you know. That oh. means, okay, you own a toothbrush. Cool. Well, that's, that is fair. <laughs> that, that, that doesn't is, tell uh, me you use that's it. That's true, just because I own it. Yeah. Um, wow. I told you, the abuse is real, Max. No, hey, I, I mean... Uh, not to expose the the chat leading up to this, but I did suggest that you should stab him in, yeah. in our Facebook conversation. <laughs> Max is I, already... I just want to point out through that whole conversation for those of you who can't see, uh, Max was smiling the whole time. Like he, it's not he's not yeah. uncomfortable. By oh no, this is great. So he's he's loving nope. it. I understand that absurdity is for absurdity. Yeah, no, Tony. Tony accidentally broke a pair of hundred dollar headphones. I told Max that, and then. Uh, Ugh, I, Max, Max is like, you should stab him. And I, I don't said, even know how that happened. Too, it's the worst. <laughs> that's part. Of, that's part of why I didn't want to do this when you were here because I didn't want to be like traceable to the crime <laughs> when you, <laughs> yeah. when you inevitably Possible went after him. You know, so yeah. you know, just didn't want to be around for that. Well, uh, we'll edit this whole part out. <laughs> <laughs> I love when people say that, but then you hear it, and in then the they, interview. yeah, and they never do. You hear Every, like. Every comedy album I've ever listened yeah. to. Oh, we'll just edit this part out. If I can oh, that's, hear you that's say that. That's definitely not going in the special. Yeah. <laughs> nope, it's in the special. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's talk about musical misconceptions. Let's actually Musical misconceptions. So this is a big one because I think um, one of the biggest ones is, uh, like, that's not music. That's what I hear the most is that screaming isn't music. Right. And the number one song that I point people to when this comes up um, when when that when that comes up, I actually showed you this song uh, shortly. I think after annual council, um, but it's a song called "In the Wake of Pigs" by O Sleeper. It's a metalcore oh, yeah. song, and it is the most perfect representation of someone in frustration and anger um, screaming that frustration and anger. A- and it makes me sick that it's hard to distinguish an honest leader that preaches a cause that's not made and not based on the profit he'll get from telling the world. Yes, exactly. Yes, so that, that song line. is all about corruption in 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 clergy, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, pastors who will just take money to take money and get rich off of their off of their church members and congregations. And so that's what that that is all about. Mm-hmm. And um, it is just the perfect example of screaming. Absolutely, is music because um, it does go along with with melody and um, rhythm. 
yeah, and rhythm. And so it's music just by definition, but also there's emotion in it, like there's purpose in it. Just Mm. because you can't understand it doesn't mean anything. Ariana Grande sings. I have no idea what she ever sings, but it's music and it sells a lot. So I'm counting it. (laughs) Well, and like the original musicians, if you look back, were these warrior poets that, you know, they were describing battle and their their songs weren't very musical as we would know it. Yeah. Like it was just words accompanied by music. But when you stop and think about that, like, there's emotion, there's narrative, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's something is being said and and expressed into the world. And like, that's the whole point of music as a medium for art and for social expression. It's like, it doesn't need to need to sound musically even to be music. And sometimes you have to push those bounds a little bit, but people have this concept of like, oh, well, music is a song and it should be like this. And I mean, not to bring pop culture up, but like even Bohemian Rhapsody being six minutes for sure. a pop song, they were like, that's insane. How could you possibly do it? And for someone who understood music, Freddie Mercury's like, this is, this people is, are going to like it. Like, they'll listen yeah. to good music. Yeah. Yeah. I think with, uh, with the screaming thing too, people, one thing I've noticed, and I've actually had music teachers tell me this, is that people, when they're listening to music, the average listener really is only taking in the main vocal. Mm-hmm. And and the more musically educated people might be able to not might be able to are able to the listen speech. to the piece as a whole yeah, and like isolate things and be like oh there's this counter harmony happening in this instrument there's this polyrhythm happening in this instrument and and take in the whole piece people forget that there's like a whole band playing even if it's just like like super guttural vocals or something there's still a drummer doing stuff that is like physically ridiculous most mm-hmm. of the time and you know it was mentioned like the the level of skill that's required for guitar players in this genre um yeah. it's, it's you know there's phenomenal stuff going on it's been interesting actually to watch the rise uh lately of instrumental metal bands where they just don't have singers because they are just showcasing their instrumental prowess, which has also coincided with an influx of jazz influences into the genre. If you're interested... Look at uh, you being ahead of the game. Yeah, you know. Well, no, I'm behind the game. I mean, like, Periphery has been doing it, and they have a singer, but Animals as Leaders, Tosa Nabasi, like, what he's doing is phenomenal. Um, Anyone who's not sure about trying out metal, go listen to Animals as Leaders. Give it a try. This, This band is crazy. Um, but yeah, the, the musical skill that is required, I mean, really the musical skill that's required to do any music is actually pretty high. Like even pop musicians, they have to know their stuff. Right. But, uh, I think people maybe just use their gut reactions to what they hear, things that make them uncomfortable and use that as a way to dismiss the actual art form. Yeah. Um, Jared Dines, a popular YouTuber who has content is primarily metal stuff he recently did a video and he just went around with a microphone asking people like give me your best metal scream and most people would like kind of cough or hork out some horrible sound (laughs) that they can't sustain for more than one second and every once in a while you'd come across someone who could do it and there's like resonance and there's overtones and there's pitch control and they're like shaping it and like doing different sounds and modulations and he's like, how long have you been practicing? And they're like, oh, three years, five years, ten years. It's a skill, mm-hmm. and you have to hone it, and yeah. you have to sharpen yeah. it. And if you don't practice, like someone I know who might be me, 
you you lose it and you find yourself having a steeper learning curve when it's time to get ready for a show. So I've just when yeah. you described that, I'm just picturing. I don't know if you ever seen this but there's a netflix cartoon from japan called agretsuko yes and yeah that's, i'm just picturing just like this adorable you know small you know uh, uh furry creature lady. yeah just like for you know furry red panda that, and all of a sudden they're like oh can you do it just yeah just, yeah just, <laughs> huh, i'm have... doing this now for the next half a minute for all your listeners ryan i just hope you know i love Welcome to Adventist Podcasting. <laughs> the beauty is that I have... That's a new ed- intro, Ryan. The beauty of this is that I'm the editor. Um, That's true. So <laughs> I have control. That's no, true. I, um, you should leave that in, though. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, this is unfiltered. This is Ron unfiltered. Um, we're sticking with it, man. Um, but that is an example of screaming. And if right, you do yeah. that wrong, if you do what you did wrong, you lose your voice. You damage oh, no, your vocal you do, yeah. cords. Like yeah. that is an absolute skill. Even if it does make you uncomfortable, I fully get that. Um, the point of like, not the point of art is to make you uncomfortable. Not necessarily. I think the point of some art is. Um, hmm. But I think there is there is room for discomfort in art. Yeah, and um, fully understand if there's someone who you know went like I don't like that. That's okay. It doesn't yeah. mean it's bad. It just means that you don't like it. That's all. I think that that's another good mindset that we as Christians, um, but also especially kind of as Adventists, we tend to do is like if we disagree with something, we automatically are like, oh well, that's just bad it's in evil. all sense of the words. Not even just evil, but just like we dismiss, like you were saying, the musicality of it. Oh, true. and it's like. No, this isn't for me, but I can tell they're really good. And one of the biggest fights I have with one of my best friends is like, I don't really like the movie Goodfellas. Like, I can appreciate how good it is. I don't like watching it for various reasons. I don't need to get into that. But that's his big thing is like, well, you're wrong and you're stupid and I hate you. And he's joking, of course, but I think, I hope. Um, but but there's that idea of, and, and it's very prominent of like, well, this is something that I can't palette therefore it's bad it's not good um not even just in it's it's evil but also it's not uh uh, musically good or it's not high quality it's like no 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 what they're doing is done really well Mm. and i have to acknowledge that fact i just don't like it yeah now for me that'd be something like country music or uh i don't know i'd sky i I could get into ska uh but but like to me i think there's there's a difference between that like there are some people who put their music out there and the quality just isn't good you know what right. i mean they're just not that good musicians and they're learning and they're trying and you know you don't pass judgment but you're like all right musically this doesn't quite fit thematically this doesn't quite hit together but you can see where they're going yeah. but sometimes it's like i don't like this but they're really good mm. like yeah. this isn't my thing and and it doesn't register with but me. it's a mentality yeah it's like it's a mentality you have to have well you have to be able to separate subjectivity and objectivity right yeah right. personal preference to to understanding like this is what the genre is trying to do they have nailed that on the mark right and i'm not a country guy by any stretch of the imagination like i'm not about it but there's some wicked guitar players oh yeah like the like the real like tried and true like deep country guitar players those guys can play and they have techniques that are very specific to their style that are foreign to me that i can't touch i mean if you've ever heard of blues especially blues grass Mm -hmm. i mean some of those the the banjo pickers there oh my gosh like Mm -hmm. it's amazing what they're able to do yeah and but at the same time um oddly i do enjoy blues grass but i think it's because it's got the yeah 
it's more of the jazz genre. kind of feel to it. Yeah. But but like again, I go back to that idea. You know, for me recently for film is my stuff. Um Jordan Peele came out with another hit movie, Us. I don't like thriller slasher horror films. Um neither of those are slasher, but I, that's you know, I don't like those. And so I don't like being scared. So when people were like, Oh, you've got to see get out, I was like, No, I don't. But I appreciate and support it. Like, I, yeah. I understand what he's trying to do. I right. love the fact of the themes he's bringing up. I, I just, I don't like being scared. So I'm right. not going to enjoy sitting in Get Out. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm not going to enjoy sitting in Us. But I can totally take it apart from an analytic point of view and say, this is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. You should go see it. Um, I fully support it. And I will, you know, I'll probably end up buying those two films, even if I never watch them. Because I'm like, this is the type of film. This is quality. We need to support an artist who's who's making quality material, even if I can't enjoy it. Right. Well, this is this brings up another point too. I think there is a there's a side of people that just love drama, yeah. and I experienced this through. It is the tell is it is the the oldest time reference for me, but the old Chipotle versus Moe's argument. Um, everyone knows I love Chipotle and that I think Chipotle is the best. But everyone tries to bait that argument out of me. They're like, oh, so Ryan, what do you think of Moe's? And I'm like, you can like Moe's. I don't care. Right. And they're like, wait, what? Yeah. Like, <laughs> what? No, don't you think Chipotle is the best? I'm like, I do. That's but like food is a preference. Go uh-huh. eat what you want to eat. And like people get mad at me for not <laughs> for not taking courting the bait. that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because they, they turn in this big argument all the time. Like, oh, no, Chipotle is way better. Oh, no, Moe's has no flavor. And if you ask me what my opinion of Moe's is, I'll tell you, I think it's bland food. And I feel like every time I walk into a Moe's, I feel like I have a layer of grease on me. But <laughs> like it, that's and that's just my opinion. I don't sure. care if you agree with it or not. It's an opinion. I like Chipotle more. But there are people that are looking for that argument and looking for that fight because we love drama. And so they're like, oh, if I can attack a thing of music, here's some drama. Here's right. some stuff to talk about. Here's a fight to talk about. Um, we thrive off of that. And I should say in the in the name of fairness that if there is a community that is guilty of doing that, it is the heavy music community, like metalheads. Fair. Fair. Like, you know, like we're yes. terrible for that. We think everything, I don't think everything else is bad. Hence, I'm in a fusion band. But we tend to, as metalheads, look down at everybody else and be like, it's not brutal enough. It's not fast enough. It's not. And we have our own. But it's, again, it's an example of this insular, echo chambery thinking where your thing that you like is the best thing in the world and you have to judge everyone else by it. Yeah, yeah. I, have, I have friends in the straight edge community and they say no one hates straight edge more than straight edge fans. Like, right. They, they're just like, just, and it's like, yeah, yeah. We I, should dissect that one for people too. Straight edge. That's its own. That's tied to hardcore. And yes, that, it is. That, absolutely. That's like almost a, its own sub genre now of like a subgenre of a sub. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, straight edge, straight edge is interesting because like, you know, it started in the eighties. It started right when like hardcore punk was becoming a thing, like very quickly straight edge became a thing. And it was this movement of, I guess, hardcore punks whose parents had been like drug abusing hippies. Yeah. Their parents had been out listening to the Beatles and taking all kinds of who knows what. And these kids came around and were like, I don't want to be like my parents. I'm going to rebel by not drinking or smoking. Yeah. Which is kind of hilarious yeah. um, that that would be a rebellious thing. But mm-hmm. that's also a, a part of the history of rock and roll that I think a lot of conservative parents like to gloss over. Yeah, uh, of course. The fact that the Beatles led them to some life choices maybe they don't talk to their kids about. But um, No, absolutely. That's, that's totally fair. 
but it's also funny with straight edge because I mean straight straight edge hardcore is still definitely a thing that's going on. Um, and those guys are terrifying at shows. Like if you're in the mosh pit with the straight edge guys, like those guys got some issues, man. Like they come out and they, they, they leave it all out on the floor and all over your face too. Like you don't, you catch elbows and kneecaps and stuff. Yeah. Well, and, and now, so here's an interesting thing too, because I've been to a ton of shows. I've been to Christian shows. I've been to Vans Warped Tour. Um, I broke a rib crowd surfing at a kill switch engage show because I got dropped. Um, and I got, there was just this hole in the crowd. I don't understand. There was just no one standing in this like (laughs) space. And when you're crowd surfing, you cannot, I was 15. You can't control what direction you go. You just go whatever way the hands pass you. Mm -hmm. And I saw this hole coming and there's nothing I could do about it. I got dropped from about eight feet up flat on my back and knocked the wind out of me. And two guys picked me up and actually escorted me out of the middle of the crowd, um, to where I could catch some air and like reorient myself and that was something that I actually saw at all the uh, at all the shows that I ever went to. Man, the nicest people that I ever met oh, were yeah. at hardcore shows, were at rock shows, like, and the the most despicable people I met were at the Christian shows. People that would push you out of the way and not care uh-huh. at all were the people like at Christian shows all the every time for me. This is my experience, but at the metal shows. And at the hardcore shows, if you got hit, if you got punched, like someone's immediately going, hey, man, are you all right? Like, let me help you out. Or, uh, hey, can you not see? Let me move out of the way so you can see. Like, the nicest people, the greatest conversations, there's something that's beautiful about the authenticity that comes from the rawness of the music um, and, and the genre that brings everyone together because all of, like, there's this weird silent understanding in the room, in the venue, Mm -hmm. that everyone is kind of connected by oh, yeah. what's happening on that stage. Oh, yeah. And everyone's had a similar experience through the songs that are being played. And that doesn't necessarily happen in Christianity um, because everyone has their own interpretation of like wh- who God is and, and what he calls us to do. And mm. so um, I just I just find that so interesting to me that the greatest, the coolest people I met were at the, the non-Christian hardcore shows. I think it's interesting to describe as well like that, environment that atmosphere of being in the pit and and the kind of emotional bond that's formed with the people around you especially if like everyone's really into it and the band is just slapping mm-hmm. um i've not really i've i've experienced it more at like hardcore and metal shows whether christian or secular i've experienced it more there than i have in congregational worship settings where there's this like weird pulling together of people Maybe the goofiest and most like kind of counterintuitive example I can think of was like back in, I want to th- say 2008, me and my dad, because my dad is awesome, we road tripped Cornerstone Festival in Illinois. Nice. And while Cornerstone was still a thing. And the big thing for us was the Friday night show because we both wanted to see Living Sacrifice. Um, and so, if you guys don't know, Living Sacrifice, one of the like Godfather Christian metal bands, kind of thrash, kind of metalcore, just awesome. And there is, there's a lot of hardcore dancers. There's a lot of like the the fighting invisible ninjas type of dancing going on. And I at that time I was like, no, nah, I want a good traditional push mosh, right? Yeah. And there was not a lot of people going for that. And I saw this one kid standing across from me, and we locked eyes, and it was this magical moment where we basically both just like sprinted at each other and proceeded to just brutalize each other the whole night every song just like 
pushing each other into people, throwing elbows. Like for all intents and purposes, it just looked like me and him were like fighting each other the whole <laughs> night. And at the very end of the show, the last song, the encore song, they're all over. He runs up to me and just hugs me. And he's like, you're awesome, dude. And like we had literally just been like attacking each other the whole night. And at the end of it, he was like, I need to hug this guy because he's great. And we it, had fun. It is a bond that is like impossible to understand if you're not the ones in it. If you've yeah. never experienced it before. It's cultural. It's weird. It's different, but it's real. Yeah, absolutely. Could not agree more. So on that note, as we kind of wrap up here, how this is a question for, for, I guess, all three of us, how can we treat the outlier interests or talents and passions better as Christians? Like how can the church treat these things better? Or is this really not something that the system will ever get right? And it's something that we as individuals should just focus on. Like what can we do to make conversations better and to make this more normalized or should it not be normalized? That's fine too. Right. That's that. I think you all you raise good points on every side of it, because I think trying to like systematically normalize art is just a losing battle because the creatives are always going to be a step ahead or a step beside or a step like away from what mm-hmm. people's concerns are, because such is the nature of the arts. Well, even as you normalize it, they'll react to that normalization and yes. be like, oh, okay, well, then now I'm going to throw this in the mix and react to mm-hmm. yeah. your action. So, the yeah, very, yeah, the very essence of art is that it's not normal. It's like so. grabbing sand. The moment you actually grab it, you've lost it. Yeah. I think, I think what we need to do in Christian communities especially is to cultivate healthier attitudes towards the arts and just probably just healthier attitudes towards different things in general, right? Difference and unexpectedness and surprise and curveballs. We need to learn how to take those in stride a little bit more, and we need to learn how to see the humanity behind everything. Mm. I think that's where something like Humans of Adventism is awesome because it's like, you may disagree with everything this person says, but they are a human being who exists in this world. Their perspective exists in the community that you may or may not belong to, and you... Whether you not whether or not you accept the content of their statement and their opinion, you have to accept the fact that they do exist as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we can make peace with the fact, if we can all get people individually and collectively to make peace with the fact that things exist that we don't necessarily understand or we don't have context for, and that's okay, I think maybe the hostility can come down a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I think people maybe need to spend more time with each other too. If we did fellowship better, I think it would be awesome. Yeah. You know, some hardcore kids, some some guy from the hood, someone from a different country, if they could all sit in the same room with elderly grandma from the local church, I think there's pe- stuff that people can connect with each other on. And it doesn't have to be difficult. And it's interesting you bring that up, Max, because there's a, a, not a documentary film per se, but it's kind of an indie film called Metalhead. Um, from, from out of Iceland, and um, long story short, it's this girl who's a death metal fan in this tiny little farm town in Iceland. Right, and her brother dies um, in a br- just a brutal accident, and it was no one's fault, but it's just there's this angst there, this this rage, mm-hmm. and so she becomes a metalhead, and um, and the the community doesn't know what to do with her. And eventually, by spending time with her, realizing her pain, just talking to her, getting to know her, she ends up playing a show with these other guys. She records a single, and mm. they come over from like Sweden or something, and they're like, "Oh, you're, you know, you're so intense, and and you know, we love it." 
And so she plays this this band. Uh, 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 she plays a show for her community, and they're all there. And you can tell none of them, like they're all just like, we don't know how to handle this. Right. But then she kind of tones it down a little bit, and they get into it. And there's just this beautiful moment of we care about her. We're not here to listen to this music. We're here to listen to her band. Right. And I think it, it just re- really resonated with what you're saying. Like a lot of times. Um, as a community, we don't need to necessarily agree with what someone's doing to be able to embrace them and say, this is this is Max. He's our guy. I'm going to this like, oh, why are you here? Are you a fan of, you know, metal? No, but I know Max and that's my dude. I'm here to support him. Um, and I think like that, that can bring such a bond mm-hmm. when to me, it's even stronger when I when I still am like, eh, it's not my thing. But you know what? That's my dude. When someone does that to me, they're like, I'm not really into films, but I love that you are. To me, it almost brings that straighter bond where it's mm-hmm. like, oh, you don't even enjoy this and you're willing to listen to me, you know, talk about it or do it or, or watch my film. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I totally resonate with what you're saying. We need to learn how to do that. Yeah, I think I feel a lot of times we don't. A lot of times we're not even willing to be to, to acknowledge that person and say, like, oh, this is our guy. This is our gal. This is our person. Mm-hmm. You know, th- they're a part of our community. We're proud of them. We support them um, at all. Like, yeah. we'll just shunt them to the side or pretend they don't exist or like, oh, well, they're in a metal band. Don't talk about it, you know. Right. And and instead of embracing it and, and putting it out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think the only thing I would add to that is uh, whenever you come across something that you don't like is to do a gut check uh, and to say, like, okay, it, do I not like it because it's objectively bad or is it just not my style, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is the... That is the most important thing. Like if I sat here and said that because I don't like chocolate, I think chocolate is bad. Uh, there is an entire the majority of the world would would um, burn me at the stake for that statement. Um, sure. But I don't like I fully understand that a lot of people think it's good. I just don't like it. And I think the psychopath uh, sociopath. <laughs> but yeah, the the <laughs> willingness or ability to like check yourself when you encounter something you don't like is something that in Christianity, I think is kind of a lost art and something that can be recaptured, um, to gut check ourselves. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what I would add to that. But Max, there's something that we haven't done. We've talked for over an hour and we still don't know the name of your band. Oh, wow. (laughs) We actually thought like, I thought you might have mentioned it in like the, the lead in. So it was like, Oh, I guess, Maybe I'm just maybe I missed it. All right. Well, That's when crazy. he was telling the story, we kind of just moved on without yeah, actually getting yeah, to no, that no. point. So it'd be important to get that. So yeah. let's. So tell us the name of your band. Tell us where we can find music. What's coming up for you guys? Like, what should listeners be on the lookout for, and how can they support you? Yes. Okay. So my band is called Kozen. K O Z E N. It hurts me to pronounce that letter that way because it's Z. But anyways, K O Z E N. You Americans don't know how to speak. Um, <laughs> We speak freedom. <laughs> you speak English all you want. We'll speak freedom. Thank you very much. You can find our music at kozen.org. Um, we're all over wherever you get your music at. So social media is like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We're there. Spotify, Apple Music. You name it, it's probably there. And our our most recent single, To the Wind, just came out. Ryan, feel free to edit in a clip if you feel like it. Yes, um, absolutely. And uh, music video just dropped for that. We are releasing our new album, A Fearful Wonder, 
on June 7th of 2019. The release show will be in Toronto on June 5th. So if you feel like road tripping to that, we would love to see you there. And uh, we're playing with some wicked Toronto prog and rock and metal and shoegaze bands. It's going to be fantastic. Um, along with some other surprises that I can't talk about yet. But yeah, that's awesome. that's us. Yeah. Um, that was a good tease. That was yeah, a that good was, that tease. Was well done, man. Um, well done. So I'll link to as much as I can in the description. Um, and yeah, Max, thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you for your perspectives, your journey and sharing that with us. This has been an awesome conversation. Yeah, bro. Thank you for having me. Um, any final thoughts you want to leave people with? No, not okay. <laughs> Um, if you break hundred dollar headphones, you should be stabbed. Um, by Ryan Becker <laughs> in Berrien Springs. <laughs> Tony's laughing nervously. Um, Tony, Tony's laughing because he knows his life is coming to an end. Uh, because I'll actually be up in Berrien Springs sooner rather than later. I we know. should actually meet in person when that happens. Oh, for sure, dude. I'll totally hit you up. Dude, I grew um, up in LA. You can stab me like eight times. I have body fat. I don't know if that's what body fat does, but I mean, if I mean, it, blo- it, blo- it, blo- it blocks. I mean, depending on the length of the Tony, Tony, are you okay? <laughs> are you- I I do gotta be do- honest. I <laughs> laughed so hard. I think I blacked out a little do, bit do there. You, do you need to talk? <laughs> you- <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of the Cure lately. Uh, uh, <laughs> I love it. Um, no, so this has been great. Uh, listeners, thank you so much for uh, for supporting Absurdity, and for now, you're unofficially officially a supporter of Cozen as well. So, yes. um, thank you for supporting them. And uh, if you want to find more of Absurdity, theabsurdity.org. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, pretty much anywhere that you find podcasts. Um, we are doing a contest right now, so uh, giveaway. So anyone who leaves a review before I'm going to say April 15 is the cutoff day. Anyone who leaves a review on this podcast before on on iTunes. Uh, before April 15, will be entered into a drawing for a $50 Amazon gift card uh, purchased by yours truly and sent right to you digitally. So, um, And I'll announce the winner on this podcast and on social media as well. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Uh, anyone who has left a review up to this point is also automatically entered, except for, ironically, Caleb won the last giveaway. Caleb Isley won the last giveaway, so uh, he's not getting this one. Uh, he is not entered, but... Um, thank you guys so much for supporting the podcast. Thank you for supporting uh, Tony and I as we've been on this journey. Um, and with that, we'll see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.